For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hello and welcome to The Rock Podcast. Here in Philippians 3, Paul has given us the goal of the Christian life, to know Christ and an ever-increasing intimacy. Now he lays out three invaluable strategies to accomplish that. Now let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled, Pressing On. Philippians chapter 3, and this morning, Lord willing, we are going to finish that chapter. Uh, We're going to pick up where we left off at verse 12. You could put your finger there or uh, wait for it to be projected on the screens. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Father God, we are enjoying uh, sitting under the direction of your word and the Holy Spirit. We know that this word has its origin in heaven and not in any man. Father, we know as it's called in the Bible, the breath of God. It's a live and living thing. So we open our hearts, Father, to give ourselves over to understanding what it is your spirit has for us today. You want to change us. You want to comfort us. You want to correct us. You want to make us mourn to the person that you've created us to be. So help us cooperate with that endeavor. In Christ's name, amen. Well, um, like most of you have been watching the Olympics and uh, having a good time at doing just that. Uh, they're sort of on at our house 24-7, you know, when we can sit down and enjoy what's going on for the uh, highlights especially. Uh, but it's always a pleasant surprise uh, when suddenly, when they're being interviewed and you had no idea about what they think uh, spiritually, suddenly one of them who happens to win or do well will mention the Lord and that they serve him. And so I want to remind you of two class acts, uh, a diving pair that took the silver, as you may uh, remember, here, David Bodiah and Steele Johnson. And, and so they, they got their uh, medals in hand and they were being interviewed and now uh, they were talking a little bit about uh, what went into getting them there. And then in the article I was reading, uh, when they were asked, how do you deal with that kind of stress? I mean, man, your whole life, and there it is, and everybody watching, millions of people. And here's what uh, they said. There's an enormous pressure in these games which can cause an identity crisis. If it's all about winning and the medals and the diving, then this is Bodiah speaking, the one on your left, the one with the beard. He says, if all I'm doing is thinking about winning, 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 perfection, perfection, diving, 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 he says, my mind goes crazy. And then he says, but we both know that our identities are rooted in Christ and not in the results of the competition. And yeah, but wait, there's more. (laughs) He says, and furthermore, we remember that there's something greater than a gold medal. Wow, praise the Lord, amen. And you know what I find amazing is is that is exactly what the Apostle Paul has been saying in Philippians chapter 3. And it really goes along quite well. In fact, the whole chapter really fits in with the Olympic theme because he's going to use uh, metaphors that come right out of the world of the Olympics, the ancient Olympics, and running and running a race and all of this. So it's just a perfect uh, week to hear about these kinds of truths as he compares the Christian life to an athlete who has one thing on his mind, and that's getting across the finish line and doing it well. And so Paul's been saying exactly that. All my achievements in this life, all of my accomplishments and trophies and medals, as it were, he says, when I compare that, some of it's pretty good stuff, but when I compare it to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, Christ Jesus, he's 
spoke and the world leapt into existence. When I think about knowing him and experiences his love and going to heaven and living forever and having my sins washed away, well, then all of this earthly stuff, it just seems like, and he calls it rubbish. And actually the word means street garbage. It means quite literally to be tossed out for the dogs. And so some people say it's like dog food. I mean, that's what it literally means is just that it's garbage or not worth comparing to knowing the accomplishment of just knowing the Lord and resting in his love. So he, he talks about that. That's the goal, to become who God wants me to be and to know him in an ever fuller way. And then he continues his thought. Well, not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward, upward, in Christ Jesus. Now, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already obtained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. He goes on to say, for as I've often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their minds on earthly things, but not us. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So that ends chapter three, just, just, just a, a wonderful section for us to reflect upon. Now with the goals really clearly stated, uh, he's ready to tell us a strategy to reach those goals. You, if you have goals, you have, a, have some design of how you're going to make those goals come to pass. And Paul has three. And so he's going to say, imitate me. And so we're going to observe his life. We're going to see him doing three things to obtain this wonderful lofty goal, man, lofty and noble goals, lofty and noble strategies, and Paul's got three. When we look at his life and hear him talk this morning, we are seeing him, one, looking forward. He's all about forgetting the past, not letting things bog us down, pressing onward. Secondly, we see him looking around. He is very watchful for anything that threatens his progress in the gospel. And then thirdly, he's looking up. He's living with a, with a heavenly perspective. His actions of today are done in light and consideration of the future reality of Christ's appearing and them meeting face to face. So how he acts today is determined on keeping his mind on what's coming. And so three perspectives, I think if we put them into practice, we will be blessed. Well, let's isolate the first part, and this is the part of we see him looking forward, pressing on toward the goal. And it's nice to hear him say right off the bat here, I haven't arrived. Now, if the Apostle Paul can say, hey, I, I feel discontented in my Christian life. I feel like there are areas I need to grow I mean, maybe patience, or maybe he has a problem with the besetting sin that he hasn't really mastered. But he's saying, listen, everybody, I have not arrived. And he mentions it twice. I haven't obtained all of this, he says. And then later in the verse in front of you, he says that I haven't perfect, perfectly grabbed on. I haven't grasped this whole thing. There's always more room to grow. And so here's his disclaimer. First and foremost, he says, my conversion has not brought me to my final goal. And that's how it is for mature Christians. 
but immature Christians don't get this. Let me give you a verse in, out of Hebrews. I've, I've had it here for you before that really in one sentence sums up the strange dynamic of having everything we need in one action, what Christ did for us on the cross. And then that second thing is our responsibility to kind of walk it out, all right? Because this is what it's all about. Because Paul knows he's going to heaven. Well, why, what, what's he racing so hard for and straining forward? And one thing I do, and you just see this imagery of somebody who's really obsessed with running well. Why, if it's all done? Well, for by one sacrifice, he is made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So yes, we're going to heaven. Yes, it's a done deal. But from the moment that the, the runner's uh, pistol goes off, the star's pistol goes off, that we will be, we are given a race to run. God has a potential for you and for me. He has things for you to become. He has moral transformation for your life. And he also has things he expects you to do as you walk out your salvation with great seriousness of heart. And so, yeah, I mean, you, you, you get saved. God forbid, you know, you cross the street from the Billy Graham crusade, but you have opened your heart. You said yes to the gospel. You got everything you need to equip you for eternal life because Christ died for you. It doesn't depend on you in any way. And you walk into eternal life. God forbid something like that happen, you know? And you know what the hard part is? The hard part is living it out. That would be the easy way. See, it's even upsetting to a baby. <laughs> it's hard. Be like, wouldn't it be nice? You just say this in his prayer and poof, you're in heaven. Yeah, but it doesn't. It worked that way for the thief on the cross. But had he lived... There was some work to do, not to gain salvation, because it's a free gift by faith, but as a response. And then that response, your life, what you become, what you don't become, what he had in mind for you and your gifts and your calling and what he wanted you to do, you're going to be evaluated for that. And that's why Paul's running. He needs to hit the bullseye for which God intended when he made the apostle Paul. So he's going to say, listen, when I got apprehended, I'm apprehending him for his purpose. So that's what he says back to the verses. Thank you. So he says, he goes on, I haven't arrived, but one thing I do, I press on. That word press on there is from the Olympics, a runner who's just running full bore pedal to the metal. And it's a passionate word. And, and mature Christians, children of God, have a moral obligation to make spiritual progress. And so here he is. He's, he's running out, and he's trying to take hold of the purpose for which Christ took hold of him. So he said, here I was, Acts chapter 9, living in darkness and unbelief, and I got apprehended. That's what that word means, taking hold. It means to apprehend as a policeman would apprehend his suspect. He said, I got apprehended by Christ for a purpose. And now I've apprehended that purpose myself. And I'm going full bore with that purpose. He didn't wake up one day and just decide, I'm going to turn over a new leaf in life. Or I just want to you know, go this way or do that thing. So he, Paul says, this is what stirred me up, man. God Almighty, God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and who created me, got a hold of me, opened my eyes. I saw light. I heard a voice, and that person just seized me and said, I've got something for you to do, son. And he pulled me off, and he pulled me in a whole other direction, and now I have seized that with all my might. And now, and funny thing is, that word can mean persecute, to press on. It can mean to persecute or to pursue with a passion. So now he's, it's a play on words in the Greek that you don't get in the English. He's saying, and now I'm persecuting because that's where he got, he was persecuting Christians. God grabs him and says, come with me. And he says, now I'm, per, I'm pursuing with all of my might. Listen, he says, when I was lost, I was, 
I was completely dedicated to the devil, and the devil used me, and he says, now when I'm saved, I'm going to give God a run for his money, you know? And so that's what he's doing here. He says, he's not dragging me. Listen to this. Not that I've already, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He's saying, he doesn't have to coddle me, cajole me into doing things or beg me or turn up the heat so that I'll finally do what he wants me to do. None of that. Are you kidding me? I spring out of bed because I've buckled myself to the purpose that God had when he came into my life and woke me up. That's my goal now. I just buckle my seatbelt and hang on for dear life. You know? You know, that must be, you know, I just think how God thinks when he gets some of us, you know. Oh, you know, it's more like a mule, you know. You just have to put the carrot out in front of them. The angels are like, you know, trying to do things. They got the pokers, you know. They're, they're poking the guy. And, and not him. He says, oh, Christ is pulling and I'm pulling with him. Right, I like that. And so uh, Paul has a method to his madness and how he's pressing forward. He's just not pressing forward to press forward. He says, I got a goal. The first thing I do is I forget about what's behind. Straight out of the ancient Olympics, this term is the idea of not keep looking back to see how the other runners are doing because you lose a valuable hundredth of a, of a second or or. Sometimes you lose the game because you keep looking back. So he says, I, I don't do that. The answer, he said, if you ask the Apostle Paul, hey, what's the key to the Christian life? Man, you seem to have it pretty good. You know, he says, well, first of all, I haven't arrived. There's still lots of room to go and grow. But he says, if I had to boil it down to two things, I would forget what's behind. That's what I do. And I strain toward what's ahead. So let's talk about this. He's asking us to have selective amnesia about certain things that would hold you back from running streamlined. Because let's face it, if you're a pack rat, spiritually speaking, or emotionally speaking, you're keeping this and what they said and what uh, the other person did and this experience and this is how I grew up and then I married this person and then you're, you're trying to run with all of this. That's not going to happen. You're going to come in last place. He's saying there are some things that you need to Jettison, you need to lighten the ship before it goes down and sinks because you're a hoarder, you know? Sorry. Sorry, no offense to you guys right here. You heard this and she said this and back in 1947, you want to know? Back in 1947, come on. Let's just jump off. You know, 50, 60, 70, 80 years later, life goes on. And he's saying, life is going to go on right past you. Zip. People zipping, zipping, zipping. Why? Because you're still clinging to stuff that you needed to let go years ago. Now, what does he not mean? He does not mean that anything we did stupid last week that we're okay to just use as an excuse to shirk our responsibilities by saying, hey, that was in the past. <laughs> Uh, yeah, if you robbed a bank 10 days ago, this verse doesn't apply to you. <laughs> hey, the Bible says let's forget about what lies behind. No. Listen, you got moral obligations from some shenanigans you've been up to. You got to deal with those, and that's what he's talking about. We can't just say, you know, oh, that's in the past. And neither is it a, is an excuse to wipe your memory card clean. He's already been saying, hey, remember this, remember that, remember this. It's the things that are no longer relevant that bog us down and make our lives heavy and burdensome and trip us up so that you can't do what God, you got no room. How does a, tell a hoarder, tell somebody who hoards. I've seen those shows and so have you. Tell a hoarder, you know, we've got a whole new set of furniture for you. Where are you going to put it? On their roof? There's no room because they're pack rat. You see? Are you that way emotionally? 
spiritually. There are some people who just will not let go of anything. They define their entire life by every little piece that happened to them. When Jesus says, behold, I am making all things new. Every morning, new mercies. A savior that says, let's start clean this morning. As if nothing happened yesterday. That's why Paul's full on open. He's full on open. What do you got for me today, Lord? Because I'm full on open. You want to, <laughs> you listen, he could be resting. If anybody could rest on their laurels, it's the Apostle Paul. He's planted 12 or 13 churches. He's evangelized hundreds of thousands of square miles. He says in Romans, there's really no place I have left to evangelize. I'm, so I'm hoping to go to Spain, which was the end of the world back in those days. But, but he says, I'm not done. I'm not done. So we can't rest in the, the good things. The 4.0 you got last term, guess what? It doesn't matter this term, does it? Well, you can walk up and you can tell your parents after the second term is over, you can say, last semester, you know, 4.0. And they're like, and? And you're like, last semester, oh my, it was so hard. I worked so hard. Did I tell? And it was completely perfect, 4.0. And your dad's like, okay. I'm done here with last semester. What'd you do this time? Well, see, that's the deal. <laughs> last Sunday's sermon, amazing. <laughs> you know what? You know what? You know how far that goes? Five minutes. Five minutes. And then what? I have to do it again. I have to. I am obligated to give my best, right? I'm not, oh, you guys are so difficult this morning. <laughs> It doesn't matter what happens Sunday, good or bad. Now, some, some, a lot of Sundays, I'm glad to forget what lies behind, right? But you can't. Listen, your employer, he actually wants you to do something tomorrow and not come in and say, uh, can I show you what I did last week? Yeah, really. <laughs> he really wants you to do something, okay? But the hard part is the failures because once the failures come, it's just hard. Could we get really hurt? And then we drop out for a season or two, right? Paul had Demas, a friend of his, abandon him right when he needed him. He had a blowout with another man of God that never got fixed, Barnabas. Barnabas and him had such a heated debate in front of the whole world in Acts that they split and went separate paths. Paul says, I gotta go forward, forward, forward. Barnabas, no Barnabas. Reconciliation, forward, forward. My part in it, God, I've, I confess and I, I'm sorry for this part. Forward, forward, forward. Bad marriages, bad career moves. Sinful things where you just uh, stepped on a minefield and blew one leg off of your body and now you have to go through life with a limb. He says, go forward. There's breath in your body. There's mercy in heaven. There's a God who loves you and makes all things new. Keep moving. It's better to limp in the right direction than to sit where you don't belong. Amen? Amen. All right, let's go on here. Straining toward what's ahead. It comes straight out of the world of Olympics. Straight out. And it's what runners do. Right at the end, as they're straining forward or reaching with their hands, eye on the prize of the finish line. And so he's saying, for him, it's this voice from heaven calling him upward all the time. And why the strain? Because people, look, he's saying, I got this upward call. I'm pressing forward. I'm straining. I'm straining. I'm straining. Because I hear God's voice from heaven calling me up, up. Up in the world around me is calling me down, pulling me down. The world, its ideas, its philosophies, uh, my own sinful nature, down, down, down. And the evil one constantly with his cohorts pulling down. So in his race to be all that he needs to be for God and all that he needs to do for God, it's upward 
And that's what he's trying to do. So he's saying, I'm in one position, folks, and it's straining every ligament, every muscle, every nerve fiber is strained and stressed because there's other forces trying to pull me down. Now, somebody did that in the Olympics, in the races. And I just thought that every time I'm watching, I'm like, thank you, Jesus. There's another illustration. And here's, here's her name, Shawnee. Did you hear about her? Shawnee was for 400 meters. This girl wanted to win. All right. So she is, she won. The one stretching forward, straining forward, same exact word in the Greek, beats the American. She's from Bahamas. Shawnee, Felix is from America. And she beats her by seven hundredths of a second. Because why? She dove forward. She just was like, oh, oh, and just just thought, I've got to do this, right? There's another view here. There she is. Oh, yeah. She is behind the line. And much ahead of her, she says, oh, no, you don't. I want this prize. And I'm going to get it, even I have to turn into Supergirl. So then the scuttlebutt happens. Well, you're not technically in all of this. So they're interviewing her. Here's what she says. See if you recognize the attitude. She says, yeah, I was really surprised by all the controversy and everybody weighing in and with their opinions of what I did. Was it right? Was it wrong? Oh, there's a better picture here. We'll just talk about her that way. Yeah. Uh, she says, yeah, everybody has their opinion. Social media is lit up. And she says, listen, I was really surprised. I'm quoting by, uh, by it. But you know what? I don't let things like that bother me. Whoa. She's been reading Philippians chapter 3. She says, she says, things happen like that. Hello, welcome to track and field. This is a legal move. It is 100% legal, and runners do it all the time. Here's what I did. I just went out with all of my heart and, and ran really hard and tried to hold on for dear life. And that's what she did. And that's what Paul says. This is how I live my Christian life. If anybody's interested, he's going to go on to say, by the way, all mature Christians ought to be following this. Because people are thinking, well, Paul, you're a Bible hero. You're a super, super apostle, right? And, and we're just ordinary people out here, Paul, you know, in Philippi. Just trying to pay our bills, man. So he's going to say, coming up right about now, Go ahead, you'll see this. All of us are, who are mature should, make, to, should take such a view of things. Why? Because he knows how people are. Oh, come on, to live my entire life with that kind of focus and intensity, I gotta win, I gotta, I gotta be who God wants me to be. I've gotta be looking around me. I gotta be looking up. I've gotta be uh, totally 100% engaged. And he says, yeah. He says, listen, uh, he says, I'm not just telling you stories to entertain you. Hey, look at me. This is how I live my life. It's for an effort for you to imitate, right? And, and I love what he says. He says, and look, if you have a hard time with this and you're a little bit confused and maybe you're a new believer and maybe you just don't agree, you're like, really? All day long, you're just like, Huffing and puffing, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He goes, relax. God will make it clear to you. You don't have to have all the facts to respond to God today. It doesn't have to. You don't have to light up like a Christmas tree after every sermon for you to have some response to God. That's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, don't go away from reading this letter thinking, well, I don't know how that's going to work, and I don't know this. He says, just keep an open mind, and with time, if your heart's in the right place, God will make this plain to you. You'll get on the page, and you'll see. How many times after a sermon, I'll, I'll go to a conference, I'll hear a guy, and I'm like, what was that about, right? And then maybe a week or two later, I'll be listening to a song or something, or somebody will say something, I'm like, oh, that's, that's it. 
What a relief to know that people belong to God and, it, and they're his, I was going to say problem. They're, 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 they're his responsibility. So it's not my job. They have to convince everybody 100% of everything. He says, just do your best. And in time, if the heart's right, he says, the Holy Spirit will help them, right? And he says, can I just ask you one thing that while you're waiting for all the dots, can you just walk in a, in a, in a live up to what we've already obtained, there it is again. You already have it. You're not trying to earn it. You're not trying to get to heaven. You've got heaven. So he said, could you live up to it? Can you represent him well? I mean, everybody here, you don't have to have all the dots connected to figure out what's sin and what isn't, what makes a happy marriage and what doesn't, Right? He says, could we just, in the meantime, while you're doing the work up here, can you just walk in a, in a manner that is worthy of the gospel? Then he goes on. So he's done looking forward here in this regard. Now he's saying an, an appeal for looking around. So he, he says, join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the, to the pattern we gave you. So there's a team of leaders he's saying it to uh, emulate. For as I've often told you before, really sad with tears, broke, it breaks my heart, but there are people who oppose themselves to the cross of Christ, whose their, their destiny is doom, and their God is their appetites, and they're really proud of it, and all they can think about is the here and now. Let's talk about that looking around. So he says, yeah, I on the finish line, but you know, if you don't, Look around you, you won't see people sticking their legs out like that or something that could trip you up, right? So he says, you want to take note, I mean, look around you. Now, you're going to find some guys who are Christ-centered, love the Bible and say it's inerrant. This is the word of God right there, perfect and powerful in every way. And you're going to have other guys who's going to say, well, it's kind of perfect. It's kind of like a story. It's an illustration. Or you're going to have churches where Jesus is front and center. It's a Christ-centered church. Or you're going to have churches where there are social things to talk about. Let's go and do good works, but they don't bring Jesus front and center. So he says, Look around you. Take a look at guys like me, Timothy, Luke, Aristarchus, um, Tychicus, Segundus. These are names of famous traveling companions who helped plant churches. He says, note how they live, the pattern. So the pattern would be honoring the word of God, accepting Jesus Christ as God in a, in a body, Loving and exalting the word of God. The word of God, where is it going? Where is it going? It's disappearing from the churches and you're getting videos on Sunday and Christian books on Sunday and a lot of topics and stories on Sunday and skits on Sunday and a lot of entertainment on Sunday. But where's the word of God? So he's saying, take note, take out a pad and say, this is what this church is about. This is what these leaders are about. And note well so that you can stick there and not get tripped up with the others who he's going to generally describe right now. And he calls them fakers and deceivers and wanderers from the truth. So he says, take note of the good, follow them. Take note of those who stray from the pattern and do not follow them. Five helpful descriptions about those whose, whose pattern we do not follow. Now listen, if it makes you uncomfortable, Paul is a guy, he calls them out by name, by jealous. They all knew him. He sat over there. So, you know, by jealous, uh, Hymenius, Alexander, Philetus. He names them and says, watch out for the, what they're saying. It's wrong. Right, And so this is a part of the sermon where he says, take note of what they're saying and how they're living, because that's important. Five descriptions here. Number one, they're the enemy of the cross. They're headed for disaster. 
Number three, they're appetite-driven instead of spirit-led. Number four, they're proud of all the bad things they're doing. And number five, they're all about here and now. So the first thing I notice here is that it breaks Paul's heart to talk about people who are misinformed and astray. He does point their, his finger at them in an arrogant way. He's not, there's no name-calling. There's none of that. He feels bad. He says, first of all, I'm always telling you, notice that he's always talking about, watch out for them, watch out for that church, watch out for that author, do not read that book. That's what he does, right? And he says, often I do it. Look in your text. I know, I've often told you. And then, so it's important. The preachers tell people, this is gospel, this is not. This is orthodoxy, means straight. This is heresy, means crooked. All right? Secondly, very important, he says, breaks my heart. I'm crying. He says, I'm crying right now, writing. With tears, I'm writing this. Oh, see, that makes all the difference. He says, it breaks my heart. I'll feel superior, not calling them out to embarrass them. I'm broken for them. Why is he broken? He's, he's broken for their, their own uh, souls, and for the damage they do to people he loves, not to mention for their own uh, forfeiting of grace and of the truth. Uh, this, I just started thinking about this, and, and, and let me share with you. I was in Reading last week. I was in Reading because I have a friend who's very sick there, and some of you know him and about the story. So David uh, Galindo and I went up, and we spent the day with him and prayed with his family. And... Uh, it was a great time. But we went to a coffee shop, and uh, we were reminded that Bethel Ministries up there, uh, a ministry that has left the pattern of Bible-centered teaching and Jesus Christ from our point of view. And uh, we went to a coffee shop that was, had people from there in there. Now, all that to say this, it reminded me of a time that my heart was broken because this church puts out a lot of crazy stuff. And um, I had a friend, and I'm going to tell you about him, that broke my heart. He was in my office, and they teach that the center things is signs and wonders, right? They're signs and wonders driven. Even though Jesus said, signs and wonders driven people are evil, that's what Jesus says. If you're after signs and wonders and they're leading the way and not the gospel and the cross, he says that that is a sign of wickedness. You don't chase after miracles. You chase after Jesus. And if Jesus wants to bring a miracle, that's up to him. But it's all after the cross and eternal life and those things are settled. So the, the guy says to me, I'm getting excited about God. A young man. And, and God has given me healing powers in my hands. And I'm like, really? Can you show me chapter and verse? Well, you know, it's in there somewhere. Okay, so he goes up to people on the street after he feels like a pain in his side. He called it an impartation. And this is what Bethel teaches him. I get an impartation, so I go up to a crowd and I say, can I pray for you? Can I pray for your kidneys? And he says, God put gold sheen on my hands so that I can see the power. And he says, look, he's in my office. A young man who was in, raised in a Christian home. And he's, and he's showing me, and I say, bro, there's no glitter on your hands. There's no gold dust, bro. And he's saying, are you calling me deceived? And I said, yes. Dude, there's no gold dust there. And they're, they're saying God puts gold teeth in their mouth and feathers, angel feathers coming down. And he's buying all into this. And listen to the first description of the false teachers. They're enemies, not of Jesus, but of the cross. And see, what they've done is they've taken the work of the cross that we need for salvation, right? It implies enemy of Jesus. If you're an enemy of the work that he did on the cross, you're an enemy of him. Right? But he says, look at the focus. They've taken the cross away and replaced it 
with impartations and healings and look at me. Now, instead of walking up to tell the person, do you know Christ is your personal savior? Oh, look what the devil did. Oh, get it about this kidneys. Get it about the back. Get it about the teeth. Look at the feathers. Look over here. Look at the feathers. But don't you dare keep it. Christ and the cross. And and the Lord was, Christ and the cross was the focus of Paul the Apostle's ministry at Corinth. He tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, when I came preaching to your town, I kept it to one thing and one thing only, Christ and the cross. You see, because the cross is the power of God unto salvation. So false teachers, their first thing is take that cross away and make something else the gospel. And young people who don't have the maturity, I talked to his dad and I said, dad, dad, red alert, red alert. He's getting sucked up into all of that false doctrine. And dad says to me, he's never been more excited before. And I said, dad, listen to me. There's something called zeal without knowledge. Is that all that matters? Is that you're excited? There's a lot of happy people getting high in Santa Rosa. They're excited. (laughs) You gotta be excited about the truth, right? And so just because somebody's excited, you dad, you need to say, it's not about the kidneys. The kidneys are going to die. It's about the, the soul that is going to live forever and the gospel. Do not become opposed to the work of the cross. The other thing that we do now changing subjects about the cross is we take away the threat of hell. And so the new gospel says you just love everybody and everything's kind of okay. It'll work out and God's grace will cover everything. So nobody has to repent anymore of sins. That's taking the work of the cross out, right? So all you have to do is just God's a God of love. I have people tell me all the time, I never mention hell, and I don't mention the cross. Jesus said, you want to know me? There's a couple things you'll need to do. One, deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. So now we tell people, oh, you know, he loves you the way you are. You don't have to change and all of that. That's taking the cross away. That's not being gracious. That's falling into error. And so he, he goes on more. He says um, that destination is a destruction, right? Because without the cross and the shed blood on the cross, that it's the remedy to sins, shame, uh, Guilt, estrangement to God, with God. So if you take away the remedy to all of that, what are you left with, right? So he says that's, and he's crying as he's talking about it. And then thirdly, he says, who, you know, these kinds of people, they have something other than God driving them. And in here it's stomach, but it really means the lust of the lower nature. Greed for money, all you gotta do is ch- turn the channels around at night, and you'll see some of these guys who are driven by greed, money, fame. Those kinds of things are the god of uh, the the belly is their god, right? So, or the lusts of the flesh. Uh, god is their stomach, and the glory is in their shame. Just means that there's an arrogance about it. There's no conviction that it's the wrong thing to do. And sinners all the time brag among themselves. Oh, you think that's cool? Well, I, you know. And so the very thing that they should be ashamed of is that they're boasting about it. And he says it's just kind of an upside down world. But the bottom line is very interesting, I should say. He says their mind is on earthly things. Well, boy, I used to think of that statement as fairly harmless, innocuous. Their mind is on earthly things. Whose mind doesn't get on earthly things once in a while? But this says, oh, that's a lethal place to be. If you're just living for this life, what it's all about today, and not with God's concerns or interests, then you're in league with some of the most uh, dangerous and lethal and unbelieving people in the world. So you have to be really careful about that. We don't live like Abraham. Abraham, 
He was looking for a city with foundations. He was okay to live in tents because he was looking for a city with whose foundations and architect and builder was God. Uh, Moses was looking forward to the rewards of heaven, uh, willing to forsake the treasures of earth. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. So it, it, it's all about looking forward, you know, looking past just earthly things. Let me give you a quick example of how dangerous just having a mindset about your earthly life is. Jesus and Peter, the apostle, talking one afternoon. And Jesus says, listen, Peter, I have to go to the cross. I'm gonna, it's going to be agonizing. I'm going to die. They're going to kill me. But I'm going to be raised to life. Listen to what Peter says. Peter says, takes him aside and says, God forbid. Oh, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus outs the influence of the devil using this Christian man. And he says, get behind me, devil. Get behind me, Satan. And listen to the explanation. For right now, all you're thinking about is yourself. All you're thinking about is man's concerns, not God's. Whoa. I mean, sometimes you think, Jesus overreacted. All he was saying is, hey, man, isn't there another way? You know, we don't want you to die, Jesus. And it was stumbling Jesus because Jesus had touched his heart. And Jesus said, oh, I know where this is coming from. Right? And so be very careful about making your decisions in life simply based on this life only and not God's concerns in the matter. God has a concern. And so we go on here. He says, uh, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So what have we been doing? We have looked forward, right? We've looked around for impediments that way. And now finally, he says, you want to know totally what motivates me is looking up and knowing one day soon, I'm going to see his face. That's what causes me to want to live well today is what's coming uh, very shortly. So the secret to my zeal is the future reality that we're going to see Christ, that he's going to appear, Jesus said, as the lightning comes from east to west and lights up the night sky, so too he will come. In it. And it says, every eye shall see. What is that sight going to look like? Wow. And he says, knowing that that's going to happen, I make my decisions every day based on that because I want that meeting to go well. You see? So it, it's very cool. Uh, this is, uh, you know, point your heart toward heaven, set your mind on things above, and your behavior will reflect that, right? So we have a Father who is the Lord. We're waiting for him as a Savior, and we need to be good ambassadors in the meantime. And so it's just a, a beautiful thing. So uh, I can only imagine. Citizenship, you know, he says in, in one sense, we're already there. Okay, the Bible says that when we were dead in sins, Christ, because of his mercy, raised us up to new life and seated us, past tense, in heaven. So in one regard, we're already there. And we answer to the Lord, and we march to a beat of a different drummer. The angels are there. The hosts of God's armies are there. And we're a part of that. And he expects that because we're a part of heaven, that we begin to live that way. Now, it is hard. It is hard to change cultures. I don't know if you've traveled or lived abroad, but he's asking these Philippians, listen, your true home is heaven. You've got to start acting and representing your true culture, right? And so uh, when we moved to Japan, my true culture was always coming out and kind of causing trouble, right? 
And, and that's sort of a good analogy here. For example, you know, uh, the Japanese don't like too close. To, they don't want to hug you. They want to bow and keep the distance and show respect for you with some distance, right? And I'm always busting into their airspace and doing this. And, you know, that's my culture, right? Their culture. When you have a problem in Japan, you go indirectly. You go around. You don't just go... Hey, I got a problem right here. That, oh, they, they take you aside and say, go around. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> Causing trouble. How many times did I walk into a place uh, with my shoes on all the way, right on the mat like this, and they're just like, <gasps> yeah, yeah, you know, it takes some practice and learning. And I could go on for days. There's some really funny ones too. <laughs> But we're, we have a heaven. That's our home, and that's our culture, and we're supposed to be manifesting that to the world. And he says, we're waiting for Jesus. You want that, you want that time to go well. Uh, you know, and, he, and he's going to light up the sky. He's, he's going to save us. He's there. He's going to be there. And he has great power. And the whole world will come under his control, including our lowly bodies. They will be made to be like his glorious body. Now, when Jesus rose from the dead, he, it wasn't just in his regular body. It was his regular body was the basis for his new eternal glorious body. And man, he says, you're going to look like him. You're going to retain your personhood. And he is going to use that body of yours as the basis for what he's going to create. But he's going to say, can you imagine what you're going to look like, what life is going to be, how the world is all going to say, and then you're going to stand at the judgment seat. And then the whole world watching, you're going to be rewarded or you're going to lose and forfeit some reward. You remain saved. And the whole world will be watching. How do you want that to go? That's what he's saying. With some regret? Or do you want to feel overjoyed and admire the work that was done while you were in the body? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your great love. And there are just things that we see about the Apostle Paul that we want to put into practice so that we can be blessed, Lord, and be everything you want us to be and to do everything you want us to do. We want to commit this time to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Final song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.